Do you want to make more Dynasty trades? Sure, we all do. Tune in once a week to the Trade Addicts podcast and see how easy it is to train to be a great Dynasty trader. At Trade Addicts Pod, thousands of men and women have prepared to win championships without sacrificing value. And now, from your phone, car, or computer, you can learn to increase your team's Dynasty value. Many topics such as keep trade by, make amends, and trade addicts trades will get you ready to make your own trades. So make the important call right now and check out the Trade Addicts podcast. Just missed that outtake. Welcome to the DLF Dynasty podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler. Ryan McDowell and Matt Price. Yes, it is me, Dan, and that's Ryan, and over there is Matt. It's the DLF Dynasty Podcast, episode number 509, fellas, and we are deep into free agency now. We're, I would say, at least tier two, probably tier three of the free agents. We're going to talk about the big trade that happened over the last week, of course, but first, let's talk to Matt and Ryan. Matt, how you doing, bud? Doing great. Uh, got a good episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Ryan, you and I uh, have talked a few times over the last week or so all about the Tyreek trade. Oh, yeah. And um, we've, we've mentioned some of the signings and stuff. There's there's a lot of a lot of under the radar things we need to get to on this this episode. There, Yeah, there really are. There, there's been so much news, so much movement, trades, free agent signings over the past couple weeks. We certainly have hit the big ones and and we'll we'll get one more here in just a moment with Tyreek. Uh but there's a lot of smaller moves that have been made. I'm I'm excited to chat about those today as well. Guys, before we really get into the show, I wanted to talk for just a second about our leagues in general. We we've I think we mentioned a couple weeks ago, Ryan, that we we had those dispersals in Kitchen Sink. Matt, I know you're running the the dispersals in Red List as well. So there's a lot of those fun things happening right now. It feels to me, and maybe it's the same for you guys, that more trade offers are going out with all this news. And you, you get those trade offers in your inbox. And, of course, that excitement builds. And, and a lot of times you're depressed when you, when you actually look at the offer. But I've made a couple deals in the last week. It felt like there was a lull for quite a while. And now I'm uh, I'm starting to get fired up about building my rosters. I even set some lineups on MFL over the last week <laughs> just to see where I'm at. What trades did you make, Dan? I got I made a trade, too. I made a really small one for Jarvis Landry um, just a couple of days ago that somebody was looking for some AP money in one of the kitchen sink leagues. Uh, and I thought, geez, I'll buy him for almost free. Yeah. Uh, and then I made another deal for Rashad Bateman in a league that it was just too too good to pass up, kind of. Um, they, they were looking for a couple of veterans. So, so I asked about Bateman, and we got it done. So what kind of deals are you making, Matt? I traded Gabriel Davis and Tariq Cohen to our buddy Sticky for a 23 first round pick. Oh my goodness. That how, you feeling good about that one, Matt, huh? I feel I mean it's going to be late. He won the league this year or last year, so it's going to be late, I'm sure, but I was happy to move on. How about on. you, Ryan? You getting any any offers in the inbox that are as good as that one? No. No, I'm not getting any offers <laughs> at all. I'm I'm jealous. Um I, I do think you're right though. Like this is kind of the the calm before the storm of rookie drafts that will be happening in uh, what just over a month, really, for for so many leagues. Um, so I think 
what you're talking about, Dan, taking a look at your league, even if you've, uh, you know, kind of taken a break, uh, you've been focusing more on NFL news. I know that's what I've been doing rather than my exact team. Sometimes I take a look at them and it's, uh, it's a nice surprise. I, I looked at one team and I had Amari Cooper and Allen Robinson and, and some players that had, had gained some value over the past couple weeks. Um, but I think now's the time, now's the time to do that. Get a good understanding of, of what you've got, what you've got to work with. Cert, certainly what draft picks you have heading into rookie draft season. The, the, that rookie draft fever is just starting though. So I, I yes. don't know if it's great advice to, and not that you were saying anything like that, but to, to go selling your draft picks just yet, um, that, mm-hmm. that train is just leaving the station. Seems like I'm seeing a few of those offers. I'm seeing a few of those trades in a couple leagues too. And I shake my head a little bit because those, those picks are going to be more valuable a month from now than they are today. Let's, uh, let's get into the startup, fellas. Yep. The startup. We can't talk about anything as the startup other than Tyreek being traded to Miami. The Dolphins get get Hill, and the Chiefs get a slew of draft picks, including a first this year, a second this year, a couple of fourth-round picks, one this and one next year, and then a 2023 sixth. Um, I heard over the last few days, guys, that if you use the old trade chart, the old Jimmy Johnson trade chart, they got exactly to the point exactly the same amount of points as the Packers got for um, for Devontae Adams. So I don't know if that was was really used as the gauge. Maybe it was. He got a bigger contract than Devontae Adams, that's for sure. But let's talk about the dynasty impact of this. And let's start with Tyreek, Ryan. He's one of the guys that you've been you've been invested in since really day one with Kansas City, but he's been he's been attached to that offense and that quarterback. Now he makes the switch over to Miami with Tua as his as his quarterback. Um, there's reason for pause, but there's a lot of upside still when it comes to Tyreek at South Beach. Sure, and I think you know you mentioned Adams there. I think this situation is is pretty similar to the Adams deal in that uh, this is an, an elite wide receiver moving from an elite quarterback to a non elite quarterback and a not and a non elite offense. Um, I think Miami will will certainly be better than they were last year. I think the same is true for Las Vegas and, and the Raiders with Adams. Uh, but it's hard to view this as anything but a downgrade for each of those wide receivers. It certainly feels that way for me, Matt. When you look at Tyreek, he's seen in the dynasty landscape or fantasy landscape even as a top five option at the wide receiver position. Now, a lot of people aren't, aren't going to waver from that. How do you feel about him being being mentioned among that truly elite group of wideouts? Yeah, I think it's definitely a downgrade, but I, I mean, it's, he's still a good dynasty asset. I think he's still probably a, a fringe wide receiver one at the, at the very least when it's all said and done at the end of the season. You know, maybe he doesn't get 1,300 yards and, and nine or 10 touchdowns. Maybe it's closer to 1,000 or 1,100 yards and, and seven touchdowns, you know, because they do have another great uh, young receiver there in Jalen Waddell. So uh, it just seems really hard. 
uh, to see, to for to see Tyreek Hill really taking the same amount of volume as he did in in Kansas City, which was about 159 targets last year, 135 the year before. So if he gets down to that 120 to 130 target range, uh, you know, I I still think he has has room to have a be a very good fantasy wide receiver for us. But I certainly don't value him as a top five guy anymore. In March ADP, Ryan, Tyreek was the fourth wide receiver off the board, going as high as four overall in startups, startup mocks. And that that's that's awfully high. You know, he he's a guy that, you know, if you're gonna say he certainly belongs as a top twelve wide receiver, it's hard to come up with eleven guys that you want over Tyreek Hill, even with the change. You look at the guys around him, including uh, CeeDee Lamb, one spot ahead, and then below him, Cooper Cup, A.J. Brown, uh, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel. You know, one of these guys is Devontae Adams, who who has a similar, really, storyline this offseason. And, and then you run into guys like Waddle, who is now his teammate, and Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf. We're, we're not ready to put these guys above t- uh, Tyreek Hill. So how low, how low can you really push him in your rankings, or or if you're doing a startup right now, how how long are you willing to wait? Well, I I think I think some people are ready to put uh, many of those wide receivers below him. In fact, the the day the trade was made, or the day the trade was announced, uh, immediately after, honestly, I I did a Twitter poll: which Dolphins wide receiver do you want uh, in in a dynasty league? And honestly, I expected it to be. <clears throat> Excuse me. I expected the results to to favor Tyreek Hill. I mean, he he goes higher in, in ADP. He is um, obviously uh, a higher point scorer for fantasy production. Uh, obviously, just Waddle only one season to compare there, but it was overwhelmingly Jalen Waddle in that response. I think it was sixty three twenty seven uh, or sixty three thirty seven. I guess um, were the were the final results there and and I was shocked at those numbers that the majority pretty large majority favored Jalen Waddle. So when you look at ADP and and the players that are below him, you mentioned those names. Uh Cooper Cup, he he could certainly fall below Cup. AJ Brown, Jalen Waddle, um maybe maybe Devonta Adams continues that that slow uh leak of value and and doesn't jump back ahead of Hill. And then Debo and, and DK Metcalf round out the top 10. So I could see uh, Tyreek Hill falling to let low end wide receiver one range. The other thing I had noticed were a lot of the redraft sites that have, that are putting out early rankings have dropped uh, Tyreek Hill significantly from a top 12 overall asset to more in, in the uh, low twenties or even early thirties when they're talking about overall players and, and we talk about it a lot with running backs in Dynasty, kind of that short-term uh, mentality. I mean, this is a, a 28-year-old wide receiver, and if if the redraft community is valuing him as a third rounder, how how can we value him as a as a first or second rounder in Dynasty? So expectations certainly change, and and it's reasonable to think because with Tua Matt. He he's not that same kind of quarterback from the one he's come that that Tyreek's coming from. He's not gonna make those scrambling plays and look downfield and throw off his back foot fifty yards down the field and catch Tyreek in stride when he when he made that secondary move. So with Tyreek now missing those kind of plays, that certainly affects Tyreek's value. But with Tua now 
there has to be a little bit of a bump in his value because there are more opportunities down the field for sure. How many? Uh, how much are you willing to to move to a, up your rankings at least in the short term? Because he has he has two truly elite weapons on the outside now. Yeah. Um. In terms of like how far I'm moving him up, I think he's I think he's still in the like like 14, 15, 16 range for me, somewhere in there, you know, behind guys like Matt Stafford and that kind of range. But I do think that there's been far too much hate lately. It, it seems like the cool thing is to say, is to show like a, a, a video of a kid like running free down the field and the other kid who's playing quarterback like throws it into the dirt and saying that that's Tua and Tyreek. But I think we have to remember that, you know, back in college, Tua has has had experience playing with two very fast receivers in Ruggs and Waddle. Uh, and you'll, you'll see, you're going to see lots of RP goes uh you know i think they're going to be able to figure out how to how to get this done we also saw from tyreek's perspective we didn't necessarily see the same like high-flying tyreek hill and 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 patrick mahomes offense last season as we have in the past remember if you remember back to the early part of last season you know Kansas City was struggling with this new trend of going back to the two, I guess not new, new old trend of going back to two high safeties. And they really had to adjust their game. And they started using Tyreek a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. I don't want to say they, they used him like Jarvis Landry or anything like that, but it was much closer to the way I would say that, that Jalen Waddle was used last year. So now you have these two really fast guys. You have a quarterback who, you know, maybe his strength isn't throwing downfield, but he also didn't have a lot of opportunities. I believe he was one of the lowest in terms of opportunities at throwing uh, a deep last season. Say that that's Tua, say that that's the offense, who knows, right? Um, but I do think Tua gets a bump here. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say he's going to finish as a quarterback one this season, but I think he's going to, I think it's possible and he could come close to that. We have to remember that we have, you know, Lamar Jackson didn't finish as a top 12 quarterback last year. Deshaun Watson's coming back. Um, so we, we have lots of other players that are coming back and are probably going to fill those top 12 role. I think Carr and Kirk Cousins were 11 and 12 last season. So there's, there's room for him to get in there depending on how the offense goes. Um, but it, it will be difficult, but I think he's right there. I think he's right on the edge of that. So, so if you want to value him as a quarterback 12 to 15, something like that in Dynasty, I don't have a problem with that. But I do think that the, 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 the cool thing to do is sell to it right now. And if that can happen, if I can get him for like a single first round pick in a super flex league, if I can get him for a first and a second in a super flex league, I think I'm happy to do that right now and take advantage of the production that I think is going to come with those two wide receivers. I think people are all over the map. There are plenty of supporters of Tua that are ready to jump on board and go get him and if they don't already have him and and, and believe that he's going to make the jump. couple questions for you guys real quickly. Tua or Malik Willis, who do you want right now? Well, from a value perspective, I think Willis, but from a production, I think I want Tua. Well, thank you for clearing that up for us there, Matt. <laughs> Ryan, who do you want on your roster right now? I want Willis, uh, and so does the Twitter community. I put the poll out. I put several polls out, actually, because I'm thinking our ADP was posted and and nearly finalized after this trade. I'm sorry, before this trade happened. So how far can we move two up? I picked the five quarterbacks directly ahead of him. uh, Derek Carr, Malik Willis, Stafford, Fields, and Hurts. He was not chosen ahead of any of those players. All five still chosen in those Twitter polls ahead of Tua Tungavaloa. So based on that very small sample size, we think maybe maybe he doesn't move up at all, really. It's time for the Rookie Report. 
Yeah, we've been doing two a days on these rookie reports now for a few weeks. We got a we're gonna go to three a day here in a couple of weeks. Um, but some big names that we still need to cover over over this week's episode, next week as well. We're hitting on a couple real big ones, late first round picks in super flex leagues. Um, maybe mid first round picks in single quarterbacks. It's Chris Olave and George Pickens. So a couple of big time receivers, guys that guys that we're pretty excited about. Um, oh, excuse me, Olave and George Pickens are next week. Um, so just <laughs> let the cat out of the bag on that. Um, it's I, I guess I got ahead of myself just a little bit when I was doing my my prep for the shows, guys. Um, we're doing Isaiah Spiller, actually, and Jamison Williams. So the big receiver, uh, or at least big in dynasty value receiver, um, and a potential big-time running back as well. Let's start with Isaiah Spiller, Matt. He's, he's a bigger back, a guy that um, can do it both inside and outside. But for a big guy, he's got a little bit of agility, something, something that you like about Isaiah Spiller. Yeah, I, I think he has the best lateral agility and footwork in the class uh his ability to pick through trash like after just getting through the line i think is 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 pretty incredible to watch um he, he's got that burst to uh, really take hit that first step going uh, there's a there's a specifically a play i'm thinking about against lsu where he pushes laterally uh and then just explodes up the field for a 50-yard touchdown he's like he, he is his ability to to see that seam and then just plant that first go foot and then burst through it once he sees it i think is is really the best in the class so uh hit on his receiving ability too for just a minute before I pass it back to you. I think he's the best receiving back in the class as well. When you, when you uh, kind of leverage his size, there's a, there's a play against Colorado uh, where it's like a full extension over the shoulder reception on a route. So he can, he's, he's been split out wide on, on film that I've seen. Uh, and against that, in that Colorado game, he basically carried that passing game. So the combination of the size, the footwork, uh, the vision, I think for, I know most people has moved Kenneth Walker to number two. I think you two as well, but for me, just, because of that receiving ability that we've seen, that we've seen demonstrated, not that Walker can't do it, we just haven't seen it, uh, puts them still at running back two for me. Yeah, since we're talking about it, that that the one you're talking about at Colorado, that was the wheel route, the over-the-shoulder one, right? Uh, and then yeah. he, that was the game where I saw him out wide multiple times as well. A couple of slants. Uh, he didn't always get the ball, but he was open a couple of times on the slants. That's a little bit surprising for a guy of his stature. I'm, I see him as a bigger back. He doesn't have that breakaway speed, but he has enough agility no. and just enough speed to get the edge, or at least he did in college. Um, we'll see if that translates to the next level. The thing that really jumped off to me, maybe something that you didn't mention there, the, the, the top things that I like about Spiller are his vision and patience. And then, you know, he's very decisive when he does get the ball. We saw that jump cut and we saw the the burst. Of course, that comes after the stutter step in the backfield, waiting for that hole to develop. And that's what's so exciting for, for me about him uh, when I watch him on film. As a pass catcher, it seems like he excels the most on those screens. He runs that flat route. Um, and, and does really well with those good burst at the line of, skim- line of scrimmage. But because he lacks that breakaway speed, Matt, um, there's a little bit of hesitation maybe for me. And we saw him at the combine lined up against these other two top-end tailbacks. He didn't look like he had the same kind of explosiveness, which was surprising to me. Well, 
well, I, I do, I do, I don't think he necessarily has the long, the necessarily has the long speed. But like I said, he did have that fifty-yard touchdown uh, run against LSU, uh, and just this is from PFF over the last two seasons. He is first in runs of ten plus yards. So to me, that shows that initial burst. And we, you know, we, we I think in general we overrate that long speed ability because most running backs aren't hitting seventy, eighty-yard runs. You know, may, maybe the really fast ones are hitting it once or twice a season. But he's also second in more forced missed tackles over the last two seasons second in yards after contact and second in rushing yards in the sec over the last two seasons so for me the the long speed i mean obviously that's an exciting thing for a back to have we've seen Brees hall have it we've seen kenneth walker have it in stretches and maybe spiller doesn't have that quite as much as those two but his ability to do the things that a running back really needs to do to be successful i think border borders on better than both of those two ryan when it comes to spiller in in dynasty rookie drafts, he's, he's kind of all over the board. In fact, in March ADP, uh, those those rookie mock drafts that that we do here at DLF, he went as high as number one overall and as low as number eight overall in single quarterback leagues. So so there's there's a wide um, variety of support when it comes to to Spiller and his dynasty upside. I would say. Um, the, the combine didn't seem to do him any favors. The, he, he lost a little bit of that support, I would say, because Walker, because Brees Hall looked so good. There are things to get very excited about when it comes to Isaiah Spiller. But when it comes to where he lands in the NFL draft and how that affects his dynasty value, how do you see things playing out? Yeah, the, the offseason has not been kind to Isaiah Spiller, for sure, when it comes to his value, both uh, from a dynasty perspective and uh, among the NFL draft. Uh, I mean, coming into uh, essentially the offseason, you're thinking January or February pre-combine, this is a player who we we did think had a shot to be the 101 in rookie drafts, had a shot to be the RB1 potentially uh, as well, and, and even had a chance to be the first running back drafted in the NFL. And now uh, – there's no chance of any of those in my in my mind. I know you said uh, someone grabbed him at, at 101 in, in one of those rookie mocks. Uh, I don't think we'll see that at all. Uh, the way his value's trending, uh, he, he's, a, he's a late first rounder at this point. And honestly, I, I think he's only hanging on to that late first round because of the lack of depth uh, at the top of this draft class and just the lack of running backs in general, honestly. So he's for, for me and, and for most, he's hanging on to that RB3 um, title, but uh, really by process of elimination. You look at grinding the mocks, his, 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 uh, his chart is it, it's not good. It looks like one of these crazy roller coasters that we like to ride in the summer because for much of the regular season, and, and they track this data all, uh, all year long, for much of the season, his his ADP's climbing. He looks like he might even be potentially a late first rounder in the NFL draft, and it has plummeted since the uh, since the combine. Seventy six is his grinding the mocks ADP, uh, which obviously puts him in the middle of the third round. That's where I see him being drafted. He is still RB three according to their data as well. It really feels like these big backs, Matt, over the last handful of years have have gained a little bit of steam. Maybe that's just me being a Packer fan and A.J. Dillon having having a nice first couple of years in the NFL. But it, it seems like there's a place for these guys once again. And I'm not about to say that Spiller's the next A.J. Dillon or anything like that. I could see him being a second-round NFL draft pick. And that 
helping out his dynasty value once again. I'm pretty excited about his upside at the next level, maybe a little bit more than than some others. I love that he's going late in rookie mocks and, and rookie drafts. That presents pretty good value for me. Yes. How do you see things playing out from a dynasty perspective? You, you've talked about him on the field. How about his dynasty value? Where do you like him him going in, in rookie drafts? I think if, if he falls to 1.8 in a, in a single quarterback league, I think that's an absolute steal, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, some other things we, we like about we like in terms of being a dynasty player is we like our, our running backs young or our players young in general. He's going only 20 years old. He's never, had more than a, he's never had more than 188 carries in a season, and I think some people pulled that against them. But if you look at the history of Jimbo Fisher backs, they just don't really get 200-plus carry seasons. We had Dalvin Cook do it. We had Travion Williams do it. Cam Akers did it in his final season at that, if you guys remember that horrible Florida State team that Cam Akers was basically the entire team. Otherwise, in Timbo Fisher's you know, decade-plus coaching career, he doesn't have a back that has 200 carries. So that doesn't really uh, bother me from that perspective. So from a dynasty, if, if I can get him at the 1.8 or anywhere in the mid-fifth, sorry, uh, like the 105, 106 range, I think that's where I'm, I'm easily pulling the trigger. And if somebody wants to take him ahead of Kenneth Walker, I mean, I, I personally would. If both of them were sitting on the board at 108, I would take take Spiller. So um, if he's in the late first, I think I think you grab him and don't, don't look back. When it comes to these running backs, it feels to me, and Ryan, you can I, chime in, of course, as well. It feels to me with Walker and now with Spiller, that draft capital and landing spot are going to be big factors on, on where I end up ranking them. I, I kind of reserve the right to change how these running backs land uh, based on where they land. It, it feels to me right now that I lean towards Walker and the momentum that he has coming out of the combine and pro day and all those kind of things. Um, but, but things could still tilt the other way towards Spiller if things break right for him. Sure, and and right now it is that projected draft capital that has me concerned about Spiller because I'm with you. I mean, when I watch the player, and and I haven't watched probably as much as you guys have, but even just watching A&M games over the past season or past couple seasons, I mean, he's always jumped out. He's always looked like the best player in that offense, and and, and now – I mean, he just seems to be getting trashed on a daily basis uh, when it comes to his dynasty value or NFL draft value. So it does feel like we've taken that a bit far. Uh, Dan, you make a good point about the draft capital and landing spot. We always kind of throw those together in this in this pre-draft process. But what we've seen, of course, the past couple of years is uh, not necessarily great draft capital, but a nice landing spot. Of course, Keyshawn Vaughn. Uh, Trey Sermon, those are the guys I'm talking about, late day two, early day three picks, and we overvalue that landing spot. So definitely something to be careful with uh, with with guys like uh, Spiller and, and others in that range. I, I think the, that's a really a big problem for all three of these backs is there just isn't a lot of landing yeah. spots for these guys. Like there's just not any – I mean, Buffalo maybe has been rumored to take, take – you maybe take Brees Hall as like a luxury pick at the end of the first. But otherwise, like in terms of going – Getting to the to the team and then making an initial impact and becoming the starter in year one, unless they just beat out the veteran in front of them, there's just not a lot of spots for them to go. The nice thing about Spiller, though, is he is almost landing spot proof with, with regards to yep. what kind of offense he plays in. He could be a power back. I could see him in a zone blocking scheme as well. No matter what offense he ends up in, as long as he gets opportunities, I think dynasty manage, managers will be excited about his potential. Let's let's twist the conversation over to Jamison Williams, a guy that uh, in his in his time at Alabama certainly looked like a big playmaker. He's like 
is he Jerry Judy 2.0? It certainly seemed that way to me. He ran the same kind of routes as Judy did in Alabama. I'm the same kind of excited about his upside as I was about Judy uh, before before these last couple seasons in Denver, Matt. Uh, when it comes to Williams, there's there's lots of things to get excited about. He can work underneath. He can work at the, at the third level for sure as a deep route um, master almost. Over-the-shoulder catches, he's great at. What do you like most about Jamison Williams? My favorite thing about him is his ability to just manipulate defenders, especially on vertical routes. Mm. Uh, He just sells that double move so well by the way he drops his hip and pad level to create this illusion that he's going to run a drop or a comeback route. Uh, And then when he is actually running those routes, he has the deceleration. He can just almost stop on a dime uh, on those comebacks. So he can leverage those two moves, and the defender just really never knows, is he going to come back or is he going to keep going? And they certainly don't want him to run by him. I think Williams knows that the defenders don't want to risk him getting stacked up on vertically behind him because with his speed, it's just over at that point. So that ability to decelerate creates just ridiculous separation on those comeback and, and, and stop routes. And then when you combine that, uh, with that double move, it, it, he, he can just he could he could live on that. If he didn't run another single route, I think he can run slants really well. As, uh, uh, obviously, the next route level two and create a lot of uh, yards at the cap- catchability there. But that that I think he could just do vertical routes in the NFL, and he would still be be just fine. Leverage. He's all about leverage. He gets yep. he gets yep. players on their on their heels so quickly, and then he also bends routes away from where the play is going so subtly. And so smoothly before breaking off that route that he gives himself so much space and, and creates that separation so well. He's he's excellent inside of 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Like, we're going to talk about him as that deep threat. He is so good on whip routes and and, and crossers and yep. and getting getting guys on the on the wrong side of the field and then snapping it off the other way for for easy catches underneath. And when you add that to the potential down the field, a lot like Jalen Waddell was last year in that Alabama offense, a lot like Jerry Judy before that, um, I think the sky is the limit. I've talked so many times about how Waddle at this level needs to add that dimension to his game where he's a downfield threat as he was in at Alabama, now at my in Miami. I think Williams could do both at the next level as well. Ryan, I'd love to hear what you think about Jamison Williams because he, like I said, he he's all over the place. He his his value really surged this year at Alabama. He he spent so much time at Ohio State without without an opportunity, and then goes to Alabama and becomes this this threat all over the field. Ohio State was so stacked for a couple of years at wide receiver that he couldn't even get on the field. But he is so good. Yeah, I mean, I think that has to be a little bit concerning, at least. I mean, it's there's you know there's no shame in playing behind Chris Olave or or uh, Smith and Jigba or or Wilson. Right. That's, that's fine. But basically not even being able to get on the field, as you said, uh, is it, it's a little concerning. I mean, this guy is rail thin and now he's got this injury to come back from. Like there's a lot of things to be a little concerned with for me. Um, he's maintained his dynasty value pretty well. I mean, dynasty managers are certainly excited about him Looks like locked in as a mid-first rounder, also locked in as a first rounder in the NFL draft. So um, NFL teams, at least based on the mock drafts we've seen, do not seem worried uh, too much about the injury. Uh, you just have to know as a dynasty manager, when you spend that 1-6, 1-7, 1-8 rookie pick on him, you've got to be patient, right? I mean, 
we even saw it in in 2014 obj gets the yeah. the calf injury in camp and i mean i remember in multiple leagues that i was in he got traded for a future first or or whatever uh, because he was going to miss the beginning of the season. And, of course, we know that looks ridiculous now. So uh, you've got to know when you draft him that you're, uh, you know, you're waiting until the back half of the season at the earliest for him. The the one point, since you're talking about it there, Ryan, is I have a couple of leagues that don't draft that rookie draft until August. So mm. in those types of leagues, these these players that have the have the injury coming out of college, they're they're not – involved in the offseason program they're not at camp right away there's no there's no positivity around those those guys get pushed down the board i see it where yeah he's going six seven eight nine right now he might be doing that in july still but by the time august comes around you could see him fall into 11 12 maybe even 13 outside the first round and that's going to present so much value you mentioned that the expectation is he'll be a first round nfl draft pick and that should lock him in as a very solid mid first round pick in rookie drafts based on that alone these these guys rarely bust when they do it's it's kind of epic when they when they uh when it doesn't work out the, those names we can we can rattle off but you know bringing it back to what he does on the field Matt he's i mentioned that he's he's so good underneath he's so good at the second level uh or third level especially are there any weaknesses you know Ryan mentioned the injuries um, the, 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 the maybe draft capital, um, his landing spot is, are there any weaknesses to his game on the field that would give you pause before drafting him on your rookie draft? To me, it's, it's, I mean, it's not a huge complaint, I guess, but he's certainly not, I wouldn't call him a crisp route runner, like the, the, the in-breaking routes, the out-breaking routes, things like that. They aren't as crisp or as sudden and they're not, they're not pretty like Garrett, Garrett Wilson's routes, you know, but I think that stuff probably can be coached. Uh, Ryan said he's lean. I mean, we saw Devonte Smith. We had this big argument and debate about him last year and he seems to be doing just fine. I mean, he's even skinnier right. than Devonte Smith though. Okay. I mean, like, he even, looks, yes. he looks about the same. But I don't know. I just don't know if I, I – I just feel like we see wide receivers of all shapes and sizes at this point succeed. So I, I, I've, I wouldn't say it's completely off of my radar when I'm looking at these guys, but I, I think it's much less important than necessarily we, we might give us credit for. So I, I just think – and I know you guys have, have mentioned that he, he's not just that deep threat. He can, you know, he can hurt you underneath, and he's a, a – a solid route runner overall and these things. And and I get that, but still like Will Fuller, Henry Ruggs, John Ross, like NFL teams drafting those, those, those speed guys specifically for their speed. It has not worked well at all. And like, why is he different from those guys? Well, you know, I, I guess I don't have a great answer for that. What what makes him different than than those guys? I think that that route running is a strength of his. Maybe might be that might be something that differentiates himself from from Rugs and John Ross and and those types of guys. Um, maybe, Matt, do you have a better answer than that? Yeah. To to me, it's not just like. Like Ruggs, I think I think you know before he decided to blow up his life, he was finally starting to to learn 
the nuances of vertical routes. But I think Williams has it already. Like I don't, I don't when I remember when watching Rugs, I did not see him uh, do like the the things that sell different routes like like Williams does. He doesn't. He never. He didn't really drop his hips that well. Uh, he never really created the illusion that he was going to do something other than than run just run fast down the field. Uh, so that that's really the difference for me. Like I I never really saw that mastery of of because because when I mean, you think about a vertical route, right? I think of you know most people think about a vertical route. You have a guy running a nine route downfield, and that's all it is. But there are so many things, different things you can do with footwork and and and, and like using those those stop and go routes, those double moves. You know, so uh, those are things that I see with Williams that I did, definitely did not see with Rugs. Not saying it's he's going to be any of. I mean, that's that. And again, that's going to be all based on where he lands and how he's going to be used and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of just what they did on the field from a college perspective, I think Williams is more of a complete receiver from that point of view. I will say uh, the competition thing at Ohio State does bother me a little bit, yep. and I never like to see just one year of production, really. But that one year of production, it was just it was just so good. The one negative that you didn't bring up there that you know caught my eye a little bit when I watched Jamison Williams was like a lot of these Alabama wide receivers that, that are based on speed, he was stacked in formations regularly. He was, he was yeah. used in motion at the snap to, to keep hands off of him at the line of scrimmage. Now, a couple times, players got, from what I saw, players get, defenders got hands on him, and he, he used that slap move and got, got across the body. He's got, body. Swim. He's He's got, got swim, that swim. Like a, almost like, but he was yeah. overpowered multiple times as well when, when he wasn't stacked behind another receiver to get that free release. So that's something that we'll see if it translates to the next level. We were concerned about that with Devontae Smith as well, and Smith did just fine as a rookie in Philadelphia with that. So it's just something to keep an eye on. I, I really like the player. I think he hasn't even tapped into his potential. He's still kind of raw, even though he has fine-tuned a lot of these these positives in his games. There is another level to his game that he could reach, and it's I think it's Jalen Waddle-esque when what he did as a rookie in Miami. Now the floor might be kind of low and it might be, might be a Henry Ruggs type player as well. Uh, we'll just have to see to find out. Before we move on, guys, to some of these under-the-radar moves that we need to talk about through free agency and, and, and trading uh, in the NFL, let's talk about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. They are the daily fantasy sports site built for the rest of us. Instead of competing against professional players... <clears throat> Excuse me, Monkey Knife Fight is made for the average fan to have a chance at winning. Monkey Knife Fight uh, offers the ability to play a wide variety of fantasy contests, including their popular more or less games, allowing you to simply pick if a player is going to score more or less than a given line. In addition to the usual games for football, baseball, basketball, and hockey, you can also play contests in golf, soccer, NASCAR, UFC, esports, and more. Not only can you play these fun, unique games, but if you sign up at DynastyLeagueFootball.com, you'll get a full year of DLF Premium for free. Simply log on to our site, click the banner image for Monkey Knife Fight, and create a new account with initial with an initial deposit. Monkey Knife Fight is going to match that deposit up to 100 bucks, and your DLF subscription will be set up automatically within 36 hours. What are you waiting for? Go sign up today cash stash or future trash Mm, it's an oldie but a goodie something we've been doing for a few years here on the podcast cash stash or future trash and we're not talking about rookies this time we're going to talk about some of these under the radar moves 
that that we're trying to make decisions about this offseason. We got guys like James Washington and O.J. Howard, Ronald Jones, Rashad Penny, Cordero Patterson, all these guys and so many more that we need to talk about here. And let's start with one of the bigger names. It ties back to the conversation we had in the startup about Tyreek Hill. They need to replace some of that production. And that happened just a couple days after the Tyreek Hill trade, Ryan, when Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the former Green Bay Packer, signed in KC, three years, $30 million, a guy with some speed, not, not as much as Tyreek, but certainly a guy that, that will fit into that offense as a downfield threat. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people were excited about this move. Um, you know, the Chiefs and Kansas City, one of those teams that we always want a piece of. I don't know if MVS is, is really going to be it. I mean, from from the player standpoint, yeah, you it's great to be playing and, and catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, you can say he's, he's the best quarterback in the league potentially, but uh, if he's not, Aaron Rodgers might be. And, and MVS has already been with Aaron Rodgers the past three or four seasons. The best finish he could get was wide receiver 55. And I know talking to you guys every week, there was a lot of frustration with MVS, a lot of dropped passes, a lot of uh, long long balls that did not come to fruition. I would say <laughs> MVS is trash. Feels like trash to me as well for those reasons that you mentioned there. The, the It feels like a one of the moves that might be good for the Chiefs because they get the field stretcher and can work people underneath, but not necessarily good for dynasty managers because it's not going not gonna to add up to production for the, that specific player. Um, Matt, do you have a different opinion? Well, to me it feels like the Chiefs were like, oh, crap, we lost Ty- Tyree Kill. Let's throw MVS at the wall. Let's go pick up Corey Coleman. Uh, it's assigned to him last week, I believe. Um, so maybe maybe they're holdover types. Maybe they're going to go out and get Jamison Williams and wait for him to get healthy to, to replace that uh, that speed element to their offense. Uh, I think he's future future trash for sure. I think he could be cash for a couple of games early in the season. You know, if, it's it's tough because those first couple of weeks of the season, you're only playing your studs really right until you figure out what's going on with the current NFL season. So I will call him future trash, but I do think he'll have a couple of cash games early on. Well, that I mean that's. That honestly, that can probably be said about most of these players. I mean, these are yeah, these are yeah. smaller signings, not not the breaking news, not the the startup that we have to lead the show with. All of these guys have have an ADP that is, you know, makes them look like a value. You just have to decide. Even if uh, MVS is wide receiver seventy five, do I even want him on my roster? And if somebody's excited now because he's paired with Mahomes, and I can get the 3.01 for him. Yeah. I want to do that because they, I mean, they've already brought in Juju Smith Schuster and, um, and now they have two late first round picks. We think they're going to use one of those on a wide receiver. So very quickly MVS is, is going to be the fourth option on this roster uh, at best. $30 million is a lot to throw at a player that you're not going to use. I imagine he'll get opportunities, but it, it's going to be it's going to be trying to guess when he comes through and that's going to be difficult to do for sure. I loved your advice there. Try to get the 301. That's a that's a good benchmark for what to take for MVS. Let's jump to another wide receiver in Dallas. James Washington signs on to be the number 3 guy and that's a that's a spot Matt that we've seen production from in the past. Again, 
We're not going to get week-to-week production, but this seems like a nice marriage. I kind of like this one. I, I do, too. I know we, we saw Cedric Wilson have success there early in the season, especially after Gallup um, got hurt. And, you know, it's still he's still buried on depth chart, just like just kind of like he was in, in, in Pittsburgh. But the quarterback is much better. Uh, James Washington was one of the best deep ball receivers in college, uh, like over 20 yards per reception for his entire career, uh, if I remember correctly. So I think he's going to get used. It's not going to be consistent. You're going to be probably pulling your hair out if you plug him in and he does nothing. And then the next week he go, hits for 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Um, but I like the signing, too. I think he's going to fit in well. Uh, I'll call... I'll call him a stash, I think, just because I love the player so much. I'm going to call him cash, actually, because I like the early okay. season opportunity. And you mentioned the same thing with MVS. I think we can put him in our lineup in week one in 2022 and maybe get a six to eight game stretch where he not only produces for us, but proves to NFL teams that he could be a, a viable number two wideout in the NFL. And that turns into 20, a 2023 contract that we as dynasty managers like somewhere, Ryan? Yeah, really echoing the same thought, thoughts as you, Dan. Uh, I had him ex- as cash as well. Um, Gallup still there, but not expected to be ready for the start of the season. Wouldn't be a surprise if he's on PUP uh, to begin the season. So that gives James Washington uh, six, uh, six games as potentially the number two. I mean, obviously Dallas could bring in a rookie wide receiver as well. That wouldn't be a shock. But the difference in in these two explosive offenses that we're talking about, Kansas City and Dallas, Kansas City has focused on their stars, on Kelsey and Tyreek uh, throughout the past five or six seasons. That's, that's how it's always been. We even talked about it a, a few episodes ago that their wide receiver two is just never really a fantasy asset. Dallas is the complete opposite. If you're on the field, you're getting targets. Cedric Wilson became viable. Michael Gallup became viable even when he was the third option. Uh, Blake Jarwin goes out, and now Dalton Schultz is the tight end one. Like, if you're getting snaps, you're getting targets. How about a couple tight ends, fellas? Austin Hooper signs in Tennessee, one-year deal, $6 million, and Hayden Hurst ends up in Cincinnati, Matt. With these two tight ends, they there, there seems to be playing time, first of all, for both of them. Uh, considering where they're coming from and, and, and who just left there. Tennessee has needed a tight end for a couple seasons now. Seems like there's a role that Hooper could fill. Are either Hooper or Hurst on your radar as a guy you want on your rosters as tight end twos? I think Hurst is, and that might sound weird because they have all those good wide receivers there, but we saw C.J. Azoma you know, do pretty well there with – with um, limited opportunities. And I think Hurst can at least, you know, duplicate that. Hooper, I'm not sure about. I just don't know if there's enough volume there. I feel like they can support one fantasy wide receiver, uh, excuse me, one fantasy pass catcher, and that's going to be A.J. Brown until it's not, right? Uh, So I'm less interested in Hooper. I'll call Hooper trash, and I'll call Hurst cash. I had them both as trash um, and really just really just because of the the inconsistency you look at at their offenses both have different different types of troubles Matt hit on both of them Hurst is going to be the fourth option probably at best uh, Hooper is just in that offense as Matt said that's going to focus on Derrick Henry and AJB uh, I, I mean at their at their current ADP tied in 31 for Hurst 32 for Hooper they're certainly worth a roster spot and worth a draft pick that late. Uh, I just don't think we can expect either of these guys to give us tight end one seasons for the entire year. I looked for Hurst's 
contract. I'd, I'd like to know what they paid him. Usually you can follow the money a little bit. That $6 million contract for Hooper was enough to make him a stash for me. That feels like they, they invested enough that, that they think he's going to be the guy that's on the field. Whether that turns into opportunities down the seam or not, it's probably going to depend on if these guys catch enough touchdowns to make them a tight end one six, seven, eight times in in their one-year contract with their new team. I, I think just maybe it's just the lingering days of Atlanta with Austin Hooper. It feels like maybe he could he could regenerate some of that, that value that he had in his final year with the Falcons uh, now that he's in Tennessee and, and going to be the guy that, that they really need. Um, let's move on to a running back that I'm pretty excited about personally, a guy that, that didn't play a lot in 2022, Ryan, or excuse me, 2021, Raheem Mostert. He was with the 49ers, follows a, a friend of his in the, the, that coaching staff to Miami to be yet another speed threat in the Dolphins' offense. He gets a one-year $3.125 million contract with Miami to mix in, but it feels to me like like he could be the biggest weapon in that backfield. Cash, 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 cash for Raheem Yeah, Mostert. that's what I like to Easy hear. Easy call. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. I meant to kind of mention this with the, the two uh, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill conversation. I'm excited about Mike McDaniel. It's, it's definitely by far my favorite hire of the offseason when you talk about those head coaches. Um, love listening to him. His voice sounds exactly like our, our old buddy, Chad Scott. If you listen to Mike McDaniel and you've been a long time DLF podcast listener, it'll bring back some memories, uh, with the, with the bad jokes as well. But, um, I'm, I'm essentially just trusting Mike McDaniel in this offense. We've already seen what he can do with a running game, including Mostert in San Francisco. And he's only the RB 54 in our ADP. I think that's going to climb. His value is going to climb. And I want him on my team. I, I'm i going to go the other way. And it's not because I don't like the player in the fit. It's just because there's so, so, so many there. They're, they, they, they gave more money to Chase Edmonds. They still have Gaskin. If he's going to be part of it, I assume not. But we know San Francisco's. He's not. <laughs> we know, we know that coach which he likes to use a bunch of running backs. So <laughs> I just, I don't, I just don't know when you're going to feel comfortable starting him. Like maybe on bye weeks, you throw him as a flex or something like that. Um, I, so I think he's going to be cash when you, if you can predict that he's going to be the guy for that week, I just don't know how you're going to do that, especially if they add a rookie to the, to the, uh, the running back room too. So I'm excited about the player and the fit. I just, I'm worried about ever being able to pick, uh, to pick the right week to start him. Ryan, did you mention his ADP? Monsters? Uh, RB 54. RB54. That, yeah, I'll take a stab at that. Yeah, we'll take that, right? You're, we're going to invest at that that value. You're you're barely giving up a third-round pick to get Raheem Mostert for the for the next couple of years and I think he's going to he's going to get back to the Raheem must start nickname that uh, we heard so many times <laughs> in 2022. Uh, how about another running back? This one this one surprisingly to me, Ryan, got a lot of interest on Twitter. A lot of people were excited about Ronald Jones signing in Kansas City. Um, I I raised an eyebrow to that. I I think it cemented Clyde Edwards-Alaire as the top option in Kansas City as long as he's healthy um, and kind of indicates that they're not going to go after another running back that that might be a little bit more talented or, or maybe even one in the draft. What are your thoughts with Rojo ending up with the Chiefs? I did not get this one uh, at all, um, and I and I agree with you. I, I think it's 
it feels like good news for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I'm I'm a guy who is still a supporter of him. He's a player I would be trying to target in dynasty trades right now. Uh, why not just bring back Daryl Williams? I can't imagine he caught co- right. he would cost for more way than less. That. Right. Uh, I I don't get it from a Chiefs perspective. I don't really get it from a, a dynasty perspective. If you're excited about that signing, you, you just really have to hate. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, if that's the case, and and I know I know a lot of people do, but this one this one is trash to me. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure he even makes the roster. Right, like is and he on the final fifty three? I don't know. Matt, the we're, we're gonna stash him. Of course, he's gonna be I, on a, I mean, a dynasty roster right now. But I, you, I gotta call him. Tra- it's trash for me. I feel like he's trash too, but I can't. I feel like I can see what they're thinking, especially if they're not going to bring back Daryl Williams. And then if he's not, they're not going to bring back Daryl Williams. They'll use Jones just like him. And Jones is we the only thing that he does well is he's fast and he runs. He's fast and he runs fast in a straight line. Like that's that's his game. And so if they want to add more speed out of the backfield, I totally understand it. But I agree with you guys. Why pay this guy up to five million? I think that's the contract details we have, rather than just bringing Williams back on a, on a much cheaper deal. And he we saw him be effective last season. So I, I think I'm okay, like raising Clyde Edwards Hilaire up a little bit based on this news. One of the key frustrations with Clyde is just his lack of um, usage in, in the in the passing game. And eh, eh. and Rojo's one of the worst pass catching yeah. running backs in the league. So you're not you're not getting any better there. Like Daryl Williams, get get him back. Get Rojo. And McKinnon's out. still on the roster too, isn't he? He's a free agent as well. No, I, I kind of expected him back, to be honest with you, and, and he could fill part of that role. But I, I, it's all really feels like wasted breath to me. You probably could have had both of those guys like for, for yeah. cheaper than if, if Rojo really is getting paid $5 million. How about O.J. Howard, guys? He signs with Buffalo. One year, $3.5 million. Howard, uh, a darling to dynasty managers everywhere for years, and, and now really on the, uh, the list of, of – former guys we love that now we hate landing in Buffalo, not necessarily great news for production, Ryan. Um, can he get his career back on, on track? Well, uh, I'm hoping he's, he kind of becomes the tight end version of, of Mitch Trubisky. He signs that one year deal. We assume he's going <laughs> to, we assume he's going to sit behind Dawson Knox or, or at least play fewer snaps than Dawson Knox and, and hopefully regain some value somehow. Uh, I'm going to call him a stash because of that. But honestly, he's been a pretty big disappointment. His best fantasy season was 2018, and he was just the tight end 23 at that point. Um, I don't have great hopes for Howard, but uh, we've talked about it on here. The Dawson Knox usage was a little weird, so uh, maybe they want to shake things up there and, and, and get two tight ends on the field more often. Yeah, I... When we, we've seen Dawson Knox not play a, a full healthy season yet, so I think there might be opportunity, or maybe they're just going to run more tight two tight end sets. And you know, I, I still think Gabriel Davis is a little bit of unknown. We have Crowder there playing in the middle of the field, uh, but if I feel like if you're not going to do it with Tom Brady, then you're probably. I mean, Josh Allen is great too, obviously, but if you can't do it with Brady, and we know Brady likes the tight ends, then I just I, I don't know. Maybe we you know one of the reasons we were so afraid of Howard. Uh, coming out was his ability to block. He is a great blocker. So maybe that's just something that, that maybe that's why the bill signed him to add an extra offensive lineman in there at times. Uh, and that's unfortunate because we did see how explosive he could be uh, in his rookie season. Russell Gage got the bag from Tampa Bay to be the wide receiver three down there with the bucks, Ryan. Oh, tra- trash, put, put him in the trash bag. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Well, not... We disagree. I, I, I'm going cash on this one. Whoa. Um, okay. I am. Yeah. I am chasing the money a little bit. Chris Godwin also recovering from an, uh, from an ACL injury. And uh, I mean, this is trusting Tom Brady, right? I, I think the Bucks offense was at their best when they had all three of those wide receivers, including Antonio Brown as threats. Uh, Russell Gage has given us a wide receiver 25 season two years ago. He was wide receiver 40 last year, despite missing six games. Uh, I kind of like it. You, you make a good point, uh, especially with Godwin, maybe not being healthy, you know, to start the season, there should be some opportunity there. Maybe I'm just upset because I wanted to see Tyler Johnson get that bigger role. And I feel like he's just never going to get that. Now we also saw Scotty Miller be productive. He was a kind of an exciting young player. And I think this probably squashes most of that. It does for sure. And get, I don't know what his ADP, he's probably wide receiver 60 or something like that. So, so I guess there's, yeah, 66. maybe some value uh, to be had there. That's going to go up, though. I guess, was ADP done after the signing? Probably not. Uh, it prob- yeah, probably kind of overlapped. I-, I, would ex- I would expect him certainly to gain some value, but still, he's going to be in-, in-, in that 50 range at best, I think. Feel- you could do worse with your third round. Yeah, it feels-, feels like people are really excited about it, and I think it's going to be so up and down. I, don't- I also didn't love the, third- the three-year contract uh, with – the yeah. Bucks because you just don't know what's going to happen after Brady's gone, if he's ever gone. I guess Tom Brady called him to recruit him, right? That's yeah. that's the report. Yeah, that's that, that's a good sign. He also called Antonio Brown. <laughs> well, they, that worked out great for about it ten worked, games. Worked I guess well for a while. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I'll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you might have changed my mind on that one. I'll I'll stash him at least. Yeah. A uh, couple of running backs that we got to squeeze in here, fellas. Rashad Penny. Resigns in Seattle. Uh, it seems like they're going to use him. Five point seven five million dollars. That indicates they they see a future for him at, at least in the short term. And then Cordero Patterson does the same with Atlanta. Two years, ten and a half million dollars. These are guys that it feels like we can we can stick in our lineups at least in the short term. Yeah, I think so. I went with a stash on Penny. Actually, I I, I don't think he can keep up that that late season pace. I don't think that's uh, a crazy statement by any means since he was uh, a top three running back the last six weeks of the season. It, it's all about his, his health and just staying on the field. Uh, I like that he signed a one-year deal. We know Seattle's going to struggle this, this coming season. So uh, if, if he can just stay healthy and prove himself to the rest of the league, maybe he can get uh, a little bit of more of a long-term contract in a better situation. I, I think both of these are guys are, are, are short-term cash for sure. I think Chris Carson is obviously going to come back, but with no quarterback, at least, at least not yet, you know, the Seattle's going to run the ball 550, 600 times. I don't know. something ridiculous. Right. Uh, and then Pat and then with uh, Patterson, you know, I think he's going to have an opportunity. We saw him kind of, kind of fizzle out towards the end of the season when they started using him more exclusively as a running back. Um, but I, I think he's going he's, I mean, he's obviously better than Mike Davis and it's hard to see Atlanta drafting a running back. So I'll call both of these guys cash. I went with stash on Patterson just, just because he's too old for a stash. Yeah, I guess so. He's an older (laughs) running back and he's got a, he's going to, he's going to be in your, your lineup, but, and you got to keep him keep him on your roster. Penny, I went with cash for him. I feel like I'm okay going into the season with him as my running back three. And, you know, obviously if you're going to go with running back two for him, that's pretty risky because of the injury history and the the lack of talent on that roster. Um, But 
But I like Penny to have a nice season in 2022 and, and look forward to him being on the market again next year. Uh, anything else we got to get to before we get out of here, guys? Any other signings that you can think of that, that need to be mentioned? I, 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 that's everything I could throw into the, the doc, I guess. Next week, we're going to... We're going to talk about news once again. I already let the cat out of the bag on Olave and George Pickens being the guys we're covering in Rookie Report. Um, so a lot of fun next week once again. For, for Matt and Ryan, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.